Acts chapter 4. If you would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word this evening. Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse number 7. And we're talking about starting points. Now, what do you mean starting points, David? Well, how do we frame this conversation about the Christian in politics? So Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 7. This is God's word to his people. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Remember, Peter and John here are sitting before the council. They're being inquired. They're being um, asked questions about why they are preaching the gospel. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which, or if you're reading from the King James, whereby we must be saved. Uh, We thank God for preserving his word for us. Let's pray together this evening. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to consider your word together. We pray that our time together would be sweet, that it would be encouraging, that it would be challenging. And Father, uh, make us uh, stronger Christians, ready to stand in the midst of a hostile and angry culture, uh, ready to proclaim the truth of God in every sphere of our influences. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The danger for Christians is that we can make an idol of just about anything. The danger for Christians is that we can make an idol out of just about anything. Picture this, if you will. The year is 410 A.D. This was a long time ago. And Alaric leads the charge to overthrow and take Rome. And to the surprise of the watching world, he's successful. And Rome falls. Someone must be at fault. For Rome, the great and powerful city, cannot just suddenly fall. How is this possible? Many of the Romans blame Christians. So from 410 to 413, the word on the street is, Rome was a great town, it was a great place, until those dang Christians moved in and ruined the whole thing for all of us. We used to be free in this place, and now the city is burned, falling, and it's just a not nice place to be. And if we had just stopped the Christians from moving in, then this wouldn't have happened. So in 413 A.D., a dead now theologian, alive very much then, Augustine responds on behalf of Christianity and Christians in Rome. The great theologian pens the book now infamously known as City of God as he trots into the public square and gives a response and defends Christians. We find ourselves in similar circumstances. There are plenty of blaming and name-calling for the problems our country faces, and Christians often find, oftentimes find themselves sitting right in the crosshairs. Some of that is unwarranted, and some of it 
is warranted. For when you speak, not like a Christian, but like the culture, it's not going to be surprising when that culture turns its gun on you. So, how do we do this? Well, the answer to some of all of this blaming is to make the is for Christians to leave the sphere of politics all together. Just chuck the whole thing. Others uh, rush to the extreme and state that Christians must do X. If you're a Christian, you will do this. And if you're a Christian, you will do that. And you, will, you must be here. Uh, both of these extremes are wrong. Uh, there needs to be a happy medium, but how do we do this? This is probably what a lot of us are wondering. How do we live out without selling out? That would be a good question to ask ourselves. How do we live out what it means to be a Christian in a political culture, yet not sell out Christ at the expense of a political party, the almighty buck, or fame and recognition? Well, that's what we're trying to do in this whole series. And to that end, we will do it in four parts, starting tonight. And the series will be bookended by two scriptural truths. One... That will be tonight, the essence and essentials that you must filter how you think about life in general, but specifically politics, through a specific lens. And then on the back half, so that infamous sermon that we will hopefully gather together if the Lord tarries, uh, on November the 4th, we'll focus on God's sovereignty over all things political. Uh, we tend to wake up on Wednesdays after elections and depending on who wins, either act like God is in control or if our guy didn't, that he's not in control. And so you can just go ahead and if you're a note taker, you just know sermon one is about the, the lens by which we filter. Sermon four is about God's sovereignty. The two middle sermons are going to be called pressure points. And we're going to try to look at as many different pressure points that Christians find themselves at odds with the culture and try to answer how does a Christian think through political issues and problems that we face. So if you're wondering why did David post on the Hangouts page on Realm about what political questions I would want answered, that is why. And it's not too late uh, to turn in your questions. Uh, it will be too late weeks from now when we're preaching on God's sovereignty because I won't need your help for that. So that's what the series will do. So that means tonight we've got to begin by asking ourselves, in what way does a Christian think about engaging in politics? And I want to give you three governing principles that should govern uh, the way that you think about politics as a Christian. Two of them are biblical, and one is philosophical. Um, I, I think I have to make the philosophical point, but I'm going to do it at the end because I always want to take you to the Bible first. So, number one, if we're going to think as Christians, we have to start with our ultimate priority, and that's why I took you to Acts chapter 4. Here we see the apostle, uh, apostles Peter and John standing before a council, giving account for the fact that they had the audacity in the name of Jesus to allow uh, themselves to be coerced into healing a crippled man. Think of the irony here. Peter and John 
allow someone who's never walked in their entire life to walk and a council of religious people call them in front and basically say, how dare you? Seems ironic, especially uh, in our culture today. But I want to take you to a phrase or two that I, I want us to frame our thinking about anything, but ultimately politics must have an ultimate priority, and the Christian must have an ultimate priority if they're going to think about politics. And here's how the Christian should frame all political thinking. Everything in politics is subservient or under this. And there is salvation in no one else. Who is that salvation in? This Jesus is the corner is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 11, Peter and John are setting up. Jesus is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And there is no salvation available. Um, it's not an option. You can't look for another provider. There's no salva there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christians must keep the first priority in front of themselves at all times. Regardless of what we're thinking about, but especially in the realm of politics, our goal in life is not to advance a political agenda. Well, yes, a political agenda. And yeah, it's a kingdom. But it's not a kingdom with R or D. It's not a kingdom with I or C. That's independent or communist, for those of you keeping score at home. And R and D is Republican and Democrat. I'm just in case. So make sure you get this. We're about a kingdom priority, not about advancing a political priority. And if we're not careful, political priorities, because they are pressing and urgent and they're going on all around us, right? It's in the news, it's on the news, it's on Twitter, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it's here, it's there, it's everywhere. I feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss book. It just overwhelms us at times. And the way it's delivered in to us. So this morning, sitting in the apologetics classroom, getting ready to start our class, and Twitter notification popped up. Breaking news. Right? This is what happens all the time. Amy Barrett to answer more questions in front of the Supreme Court. That's not breaking news. How we confirm justices is a pretty schedule standard thing. But we're told all the time, this is urgent, this is urgent. And what ends up happening, because we're discipled more by the culture around us than Christ, we buy into that is breaking, and this becomes less breaking. Here's what, if the Bible, and not the Bible app in Craig Groeschel, but the Bible, the legit, authorized, inerrant, infallible scriptures, gave you a, a notification every day. The notification would say, breaking news. Hell is real. Time is short. People are dying. That's legitimate, pressing news. Not whatever's going on in the political landscape that we find ourselves in. 
And if we're not careful, this political world becomes oh so enticing because we can win. We can be on top. We can rule. We can have power. Which is the exact opposite of being a Christ follower, right? Jesus says to the disciples, when they're arguing, they have this argument, right? Because the disciples, these guys, these uh, these twelve guys, oh man, what a group! They're walking with Jesus and they're having an argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And you're just reading this. I was reading this the other day, and I'm going, "What are you guys doing?" And I'm thinking, if I'm there, I'm like, you know, you guys are pretty big idiots for doing this because I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you cannot use your power like the Gentiles do, who lord it over other people. But the least among you will be greatest. That is the exact opposite of the political realm. And if Christians aren't careful, they find themselves being sucked into believing that politics is ultimate. I just want to remind you of something. Uh, you are still alive, and from the looks of things, fairly well fed and clothed, after spending eight years under the presidency of Barack Obama, a Democrat. And I am doing surprisingly well, having survived uh, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, just a wee tyke, just a jazz-playing Democrat from Arkansas. And, yes, I snuck in on George Bush Sr., I was here, and he knew it was time to go, so he headed out. Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. 31 years I survived. Why? Because those men are not responsible for me waking up in the morning and breathing. And they also cannot save me from the biggest problem that invades my human heart. The only only Jesus could fix. We can be tempted to think that if we get the right people into the right spots, in the right offices, we can fix all the problems that we face today. And I'm just going to tell you, time and time again through this series, the only thing that will fix the human heart is the salvific nature of Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. Now what we do as Christians is important. But this must be the bedrock principle that guides us. While we are on earth, our number one job should be to see people saved and see them discipled. Now, just because this is the ultimate priority doesn't mean that we can abandon the area of politics. In fact, too many Christians, I'm going to argue tonight, and I'm going to argue every week for the next three, four weeks, have done. They've abandoned this. They've said, you know what, we don't have to think about it, or I don't want to talk about it, it's uncomfortable. It makes everybody uncomfortable. Well, goodness, for goodness sake, if we stop doing everything that made everyone un uncomfortable, we'd all like basically stop doing a lot of the things that we do. I don't really like going to work. I haven't for, um, the last job that I mean like you really could not complain about was when I was 16 driving golf carts for a living. Even day, there, those days, I mean, there were some days where it was hot. I didn't want to be out there. I'm inside. 
if we want if we stop doing everything that we find uncomfortable or we stop having conversations about things that are uncomfortable it's uncomfortable to tell somebody hey you know you're a sinner and if you don't accept christ you're going to spend an eternity in a literal hell that's uncomfortable what are we just going to stop sharing the gospel i think some christians would say yeah so the old adage goes the two things that you should never talk about when you go to someone's house for the first time or you're out to dinner with people you barely know is politics and religion, and I'm a campaign politics junkie who's called to be a pastor, so I'm toast. It's like, let's just get it over with. What do you think of the polling data that we're seeing right now? Oh, and by the way, did you know that you're a dirty, rotten sinner who, apart from a putting your saving faith in Christ, will send you to a Christless eternity? Boom! We've already, we've done, we've gone past awkward, or rather, here's an actual, more charitable way, my favorite. I, I think I'm getting the right the right last name here, Jeff Robinson in Texas, as a senior on a high school football team, said to a freshman, Matt Chandler, hey, I'm really excited that you're here and playing on the football team. I'm also a Christ follower, and so at some point, I'm going to, uh, I want to sit down and, and share the gospel with you. Can you tell me when that's going to be a, a good time and we'll do it? And if you can't come up with a good time, I'll find one for us to get. The issue here, right, if we're going to talk about politics and Christianity, is to keep the priorities where they are supposed to be, uh, the gospel front and center, and everything else is subservient to it. But that does not mean that we just get the opportunity to vacate the political arena and just go, you know what, I don't care anymore. It doesn't affect me, because it does. Okay, so we've got an ultimate priority. We need to keep that front and center. As we think about engaging in politics, before we get to any issues, we must now address probably an even more uncomfortable um, principle and idea. Number two, how we speak. How we speak. Uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. I have two texts that I want us to consider under this point. I'm going to summarize the other text while we have our Bibles open to this one. I, Ephesians chapter 4. Genesis chapter 1, in the creation narrative, we read that, Je or that God um, creates man, and he creates woman, and Genesis records for us that in that text, God created uh, man and woman, and he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So he created them, male and female, in his image. Both of them he created male and female. So male and female, all created in God's image. And then here we find in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, uh, this admonition from Paul. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now the context here, Paul is speaking about the benefit of Christians to the church. They will speak the truth in love to one another. And so if we're going to do that to Christ followers, it naturally progresses to say that we are going to speak the truth in love to none. Christ followers. Christians, when speaking on any issue, 
would do well to remind themselves that they are image bearers and the people that they are talking to are image bearers as well. People are created in the image of God. Yes, even your political opponents are created in the image of God. They are created, and, and I want you to listen to this, your political opponents are created with worth, dignity, and value. And as such, we should treat all people with respect. This is a defining area in, in conversation across the, the country. And just to throw the haymaker blow that we're all waiting for me to do, nowhere was this more evident in our first presidential debate. But it's evident every day as Christians interact with each other on social media. I think some of us, not any of us, we're all righteous, holy, and we never talk poorly to anyone. To the other Christians outside of here who are terrible human beings who do not do what they're supposed to do, would do well probably to just remove the uh, shift key from their keyboard and put the caps button down on total, like, time on, like, caps button working overtime because the way in which they speak is constant yells like wh why is everybody so angry because they're not being governed by the fruit of the spirit love joy peace holiness gentleness meekness long-suffering i'm going to say some things over the next two weeks that are probably going to frustrate you maybe not maybe they just won't I'm, I'm trying to filter all of this through the scriptures, not trying to come to you with a Republican ticket or a Democratic ticket or an independent ticket of here's what values voters should be looking for in a presidential candidate. I'm saying, how does a Christian think about engaging in politics? It means that they filter every decision that they make through the lens and the worldview of scripture. Here's the number one problem that's facing the conservative Christian is they're being discipled by Rush Limbaugh and Ben Shapiro, by Alex Jones and Fox News. But guess what? You're an equal opportunity hitter, because I think the scripture does see here. There also are Democratic Christian friends that are being discipled by CNN and MSNBC. And guess what? None of them are operating from a biblical worldview. Babylon Bee today made a joke about Ben Shapiro parting a river. The humor in that is that's part of the Bible that Shapiro would believe in as an Orthodox Jew. But he does not operate from a Christian perspective. We're being discipled by people who don't hold the biblical truth and values in, a, in the political realm. That is problematic. That is problematic. If the people who you're listening to that inform the way you think about the world around you have no basis in the scriptures, I ask you, why are you constantly listening to them and not to others? It's because we've given them a bigger platform than what they truly need to deserve. Now, I, I say all of that, and now I'm going to come back, right? So this is really good. I advance the ball, and then I walk it back. Conservative voices are not bad. And sometimes progressive voices are not bad either. I'm going to get an email about that. What becomes bad is when we allow the truth and love component to be shaped more by somebody who does not operate from a biblical worldview. What is also required here 
when we talk about how we speak is that Christians speak the truth in love. And I want to highlight the truth, and then I want to highlight in love. A lot of Christians are like, we just can't say things that are controversial. I'm like, have you read the New Testament? The Apostle Paul is like one of the most radical people. He's like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And children, love your your parents. And, And parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. This is in a culture that is eminently hostile towards kids you don't want. If you have a baby, you don't want it, perfect. Just leave it outside. Somebody will pick it up and do something with it. sometimes think that our culture is like the world is on fire and we're experiencing the worst that the world has ever had to offer and i'm just like you read the first century and no that couldn't be further from the truth christians speak the truth even if it's radical they do it in love but they also don't do it in i don't know any other way to say it than this but in a mamby pamby kind of way it's okay to have good-hearted truth and to say this is wrong it is wrong to murder people. It is wrong to murder people. It is wrong to murder people in the womb. It is wrong to murder people out of the womb. It is wrong to murder people that you're arresting, and it's wrong to murder people that are arresting you. This should not be controversial for Christians. Like I, should, I, I should literally be carried out of here like the winning coach of a football team for saying you shouldn't kill people indiscriminately. It shouldn't be controversial for a pastor to stand up in a pulpit on a Sunday morning and say, we've had 43 police officers killed since the beginning of the year. That is unacceptable, and I am heartbroken by it, because police officers are made in the image of God, have worth, dignity, and value. We've seen these people killed. They have worth, dignity, and value, and that is heartbreaking. Why? Because we value life. That's speaking the truth in love. You do that, you say the one thing about the police officer, you're in trouble. You say the one thing about the people who aren't a police officer, you're a cultural Marxist, and you're woke. Give me a break. God says that all of those people have worth, dignity, and value. And our heart, we should be heartsick when people lose their life. So, we're going to speak the truth in love. But there's a philosophical conviction that I must conclude with this evening that is not found in Scripture, and I think you'll understand why. Point number three, America and the Bible. Let's be clear that while uh, reading the scriptures, we will never run across the good old U.S. of A. It's not here. It's not here. I've looked. We're not here. I even looked in the map. I'm like, maybe we're here. Nope, still not there. This is an experiment, in case you haven't noticed. It's an experiment that was undertaken. And codified and we can have this debate later but in 1776 just for all of us keeping score at home that's when this experiment started and so the united states of america is a relatively new concept and so what this means is that paul never speaks about the issue of taxation without representation or the majority of the issues in american politics and this uh, leads to two conclusions that we must have we must, number one, filter our responses to political policies and positions through Scripture. And then number two, we leave a lot of latitude for individual Christian consciences. If we live here 
then we're not owned by a political party. Because this is the tagline, right? We started controversially, might as well end controversially. You hear the tagline all the time. 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. So if white evangelical Christians fault that Donald Trump is in office. Okay, as if voting blocks are the first thing that we've ever discovered in the history of the United States. We have got to get past false narratives. And as evangelical Christians, we ought to be mature enough to say, you know, as much as I can appreciate your handling of statistical values and such, that is really a misleading argument. And furthermore, there are certain key values that I hold to because Scripture governs me. I don't vote for people because of their personality. I vote for people based on their politics. Because ultimately, I'm called to be faithful to what God has called me to do. He's placed me here in America. I've got a responsibility. If I was in England, I'd have a different responsibility. And I'd also have a sick, wicked accent instead of gross Midwestern. Every cultural climate is going to be different in how they think about politics. But the great thing that will unite all of us is the message and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, coupled with the fact that God calls us to live faithfully in the land where he's placed me. Look, at the end of the day, I had no choice over this. It's always funny to me, the people who are like so proud of where they come from. I'm proud of where I come from as if I had some responsibility in that. Because I made the selection to be born in Iowa. No. I had no control over that. Just as much as I had no control over being placed in the United States. But being placed in the United States with this worldview means I have to filter through God placing me here. Through the fact that he is sovereign and in his sovereignty has placed me here for the good of the people who are around me. Which means I have to be engaged in the world around me which inevitably means I've got to deal with politics. So these are our starting points. They launch us into the discussion. Some of you are frustrated. You're like, I thought we were going to get some stuff there. Well, we, we will get there. Some of you are like, I don't know that we want any more. The issue, beloved, is this. The issue is this. We're, we're facing a, a hostile culture around us that is hostile towards Christianity. But guess what? They were hostile towards the apostles, too. This is not new territory for the body. How we respond, though, to the hostility will speak volumes about who we are and, notice this word, whose we are. Who owns you? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I, but Christ that lives within me. Let's pray together.